can you walk us through like from the time you get up till the time you go to sleep while working a show? What does your day look like? Because um, my palms are sweating thinking about it. <laughs> Mine are too. Hi, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to Stage Door Media. Listening to season two, episode 12, Soar, featuring Broadway stage manager extraordinaire and owner of Homer Derby, Danny Malley. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another really special episode today of Stage Door Medium. I'm your host, Jimmy. If you are new to the podcast, essentially what I do each week is I sit down with an incredible Broadway artist, or today a little different, but somebody who works on Broadway and um, an integral part of the community. And we sit down and we discuss and we explore the parallels between energy and artistry. Um, I've been so fortunate to work with some of the kindest, brightest folks. So we celebrate them and we celebrate the family that we lost and some lessons that we've learned. So I'm so grateful that you are joining us today. Our guest today, I am so excited to welcome him to our show. I always take some notes before I meet a client, before our reading. And these are, this is what I had written down about Danny. First thing that I had written down is you'll want to hug him through the screen. That was the first thing. Second thing that I had written down, two steps ahead of everyone. Third, I said kind and quiet. The next one I had was a quiet force. The next one that I had is animals see light around him, which is the best compliment. If I see that, I already know you're a good person. If animals can see that light that you give off, you're golden in my book. So our guest has been a stage manager on Broadway for some of the most incredible productions, including The Country House with what Blythe Danner, Hello Dolly, To Kill a Mockingbird, Uh, Please help me in welcoming the incredible, incredible Danny Malley to our episode today. Hi, Danny. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. How are you? I'm great. Good. Just enjoying the the nice weather. What is it there? Like how how hot? Um, It's maybe low 70s, I think, but a really beautiful breeze. Yeah, I'm over here in New Jersey. It's perfect. That's it's about 73 here today. It's, it's and there's a good breeze. So nice. Well, thank you for being our guest. Um, goodness, there, there's so much I I, I wanna I, I wanna pick your brain about and talk about, but how did you get into and how did you get to where you are now stage managing on Broadway? Like were you interested in the arts initially and then you found out that, that this was another pathway? And I guess can you talk about that? Yeah. Um in high school I entered the drama program. Uh, I had a really wonderful teacher. And, you know, I I started as an actor, like most of us do, um, because in high school, we don't really know what a stage manager is, or the need for one, it all just kind of happens around us. Um, And I was in a ton of plays and musicals, and then went to college, not 
necessarily sure I wanted to be an actor, but I knew that I wanted to be in the world of theater. That's where it, what felt like home to me. And I wasn't getting cast. Um, I hated the audition process. And then I think I got put on run crew for a musical. It was Ruthless, the musical. And I was backstage right. And I was in charge of pulling the curtain. And it just seemed like such a great responsibility. And it didn't have the stress of, you know, 400 people in the audience staring me down while I was doing it. But I knew that it was an integral part. The show couldn't happen without me. Um, So I, I really just, you know, something awakened inside me, I guess. And I was like, oh, this is the language that I speak. There's Marilyn. I knew she'd join us. (laughs) Um, This is the language that, you know, I speak. And it it felt like, of course I should be a stage manager. And I was was having people around me, mentors telling me like, you know, uh, this, this really feels right for you. And it did. So I continued there. I went to St. Louis University. Um, eventually getting my equity card in St. Louis, working at the Repertory Theater. And, you know, I, I worked there for several years and then decided to make the big move to New York with three suitcases and a sublet, basically. I was just reading this book called, I'm still reading it. It's called Letters to a Star Seed. And you hit on something. I just finished this chapter. It was talking about how when we discover like our purpose or our calling, they talk about how something feels like it's activated or like turned on within mm-hmm. us. And even if we don't fully explore it at that moment, all of a sudden it's like the seed has been planted and we go, oh yeah, like this is, this is it. I remember years ago when somebody told me, they're like, you're supposed to be, you know, a medium. And like, I kind of thought they were a little cuckoo, but at the same time, that button had been pressed. And, um, and when you really funny story, cause it, talk about the six degrees with ruthless my um my college mentor he ran the theater program before he came to niagara his name is greg he was the stage manager of ruthless off broadway so he actually stage managed britney spears and because it was britney was the understudy yeah i heard that and natalie portman too right natalie portman and uh was it laura bell Laura Bell. yeah i think so yep he had crazy yeah, and I actually ended up meeting one of the other stage managers of that production in New York. So she must have been either his assistant or vice versa. But yeah, that that is a show that just sticks out in my mind as as like one of my first experiences backstage yeah. was on Ruthless. Um, and I'll never forget uh, sitting in at the tech table. I was calling some musical at St. Louis University and my one of my mentors, Mark Wilson, was sitting next to me and he was the lighting designer and I'm calling all these light cues and just having a great time, like blowing through our first break, I'm sure, because it just was so fun. And I I remember looking next to him and saying, oh my gosh, this is so fun. And he just looked at me like, what is wrong with you that you think this is fun? You know, (laughs) and that's how I knew it, it just was meant to be. You know, it was, it was a task that maybe would stress a lot of people out probably stressed a lot of actors out who had to stage manage a show, you know, as part of their BA in theater. Um, but it just, it felt great. Stage managers are artists at heart though, because I watch for sometimes I will fall down the rabbit hole and I will Google, excuse me, I will YouTube the call videos of watching mm. a show and the numbers and, and, and 
you have to really have like the sensitivity of there's no way you can't be an artist, I think, to be a stage manager. Like you have to. I agree. Yeah. The sensitivity of a musician and an artist to know when to make that go. Well, I, and yeah, and I agree. And I think that's what makes a good stage manager a good stage manager is they, they can tap into that, that sensitivity. You know, anybody can call light cues, but not everybody can really feel and ride the wave or the heartbeat of the show. Yes. How did Broadway come about then, that opportunity to, to get there from, new, from landing in New York with the three bags? Yeah, you know, I, I started back as a production assistant, um, you know, another entry level position. And even though I was production stage managing in St. Louis, obviously New York was a different level, um, different than regional theater. So I, I production assisted Falling uh, with Julia Murney, actually and had a great time doing that. I was able, I was able to be hired on for the full run. Um, and I quickly learned that you have to make yourself invaluable. You know, you have to, you have to just like dedicate yourself completely. People will, will recognize your work. People will recognize uh, your integrity and, you know, will want to hire you again or will want to pass your name on to somebody or, um, you know, word of mouth, basically. So you really have to, to show off, show your stuff, you know, be that trustworthy person that you are to get your next gig. And they always say work creates work. And that's true. I say the exact same thing with, it's interesting, like, yeah, you can have a website as a medium, you can have a podcast, but it's work gets, you know, and ultimately it's, it's word of mouth. Like my dad, Growing up, my dad was a welder. That's how he paid the bills, but he was also an artist. And I think that's one of the things I was most grateful for growing up watching him was that, I mean, this was pre-websites, pre, and my dad was consistently working as an artist through word of mouth. You know, it was the, it was the character aspect of like, you know, if, if something it needed to be fixed two days after the sign was installed, like my dad wasn't like, well, contract's over, you know, and it, it was his work ethic. I think that sticks with me um, to this day mm -hmm. as a medium. And I realize how important it is. I don't know. Well, and I tell, I tell younger stage managers all the time when they ask, what advice do you have? And my advice is always do the job that you're given as best as you can do it. Let others see that, boy, when they tell you to wash that coffee pot, you really went back there with a sponge and dish soap and you scrubbed the hell out of it. And people will, will remember that. And even if nobody else saw you scrubbing that coffee pot, you know that you put that energy into it and you did the job as best you could so that when your boss said, hey, did you wash the coffee pot? Of course you did. You know, and you just, you really just have to, to do all the work I always say that to my students as well. Like it's, it's this idea of, or even I'll say it to clients. Sometimes you have to do the work. And even if somebody doesn't recognize it immediately, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing the work. I, you know, I, I always say like mediumship is hard. And I think for somebody to think that we can just go in and two minutes beforehand and hop on a call, it is so not that. I mean, and mm -hmm. I think if you're not, we call it sitting in the power as a medium. So it's a great, I guess, to piggyback off you, the client doesn't see it, you know, or in your case, if they don't see that that coffee pot was scrubbed, the client is not going to see that I'm, I'm meditating three times a week, not long, about 10, 15 minutes each time. But I know if I'm doing the work, because if not, I'm like, 
oh, I'm tired after one reading today. So there's little things that like we have to do as well to still make sure that even if somebody doesn't recognize it, they're not like, wow, your stamina is great as a medium. I still have to do it because it, you know, it, it's character. When I think you're having to build the integrity in yourself first yeah. before other people are going to see that integrity, you know? Yeah. Can I ask in terms of like, if you were to give advice now, because here's the other thing, I know we had spoken about this after your reading. If I had known growing up that stage media, uh, stage medium, that stage <laughs> management, too, too similar, was a viable pathway and career, I think I would have entertained it in terms of, I guess, getting started for those people that are in, like, what recommendations would you give? getting started on this path and figuring out if, if this is what's right for you. So if you can't see yourself doing any other job, then do stage management because of the energy that stage management requires. You know, uh, you're investing your free time, you're investing, you know, pretty much from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. It's It becomes your hobby. It becomes your passion if it's not already. But I tell, I've been told by many older stage managers just that, like, if, if you can do something else, do it, because this is hard. It's not as easy as it looks. I'm just curious now with, with cell phones. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back in the 80s and like, were they, were stage managers considered less on call or, or was it like, hey, I have to check a voicemail box? Do you know what I mean? I think it's definitely more difficult now um, to separate your work-life balance than it would have been way back when. Um, but, you know, stage managers still had to call into voicemails. Um, they had to leave recordings on voicemails so that the actors could call and know who was called for rehearsal the next day. You know, they had to, also a lot of their energy went into that. Um, but I don't know. I, I love being able to, you know, have the technology we have today. You know, I can't, I can't imagine having to print out all the rehearsal reports and then go to the theater and put them in all the designers' mailboxes. So I think it's a, it's, while it could be a curse sometimes, I think it's a blessing. I think we're able to put out a lot more fires than could, could start um, because we are so connected. Can you walk us through like from the time you get up till the time you go to sleep while working a show, what does your day look like? Because my palms are sweating thinking about it. <laughs> Mine are too. I haven't done it in a couple of years. Um, so you'll you'll wake up. Um, you'll you'll get check your voicemails. Obviously, if you're a production stage manager, you could have calls from producers. You could have calls from general management. You could have sick actors. But as an ASM, um, which I've done more of in New York, um, you know we would be the first ones going into the theater to grab the rehearsal parasols and the rehearsal skirts and then head over to a rehearsal studio because we're, we're putting in a new person into the show uh, with the dance captain. So you could spend several hours in a small rehearsal studio and then trek back to your main theater um, where another rehearsal could be happening on stage by one of your, your co-stage managers. Um, there's a dinner break involved and uh, then you would come for your show call, which is an hour and a half before curtain um, and an hour typically before actors are called for their half hour call. So we're there to, you know, receive messages from actors, whether they're out sick for the day or they're running late. 
um, we're there if factors are coming in early for fittings. And then, um, you know, we, we do all the, the, the prop pre-checking and, and all of that during the pre-show hour and checking in with each cast member. Then if we're calling stage right, you know, you prepare for that role. We could be, I mean, if you're running stage right, prepare for that. If you're calling the show, that takes, you know, different preparation. Um, but we're typically there for about a half an hour or so after the show comes down um, to sort out any technical issues that could have happened during the show, if actors had any injuries, um, and then prepping for the, the next day's rehearsal. Well, do you guys have to type up each show or how does that work? Yeah, we work as a team usually of stage managers uh, who are working on that show. And we sort of record the heartbeat of the show, record key moments, things that went well, things that maybe didn't go so well, um, so that that's all recorded. You know, we would obviously record injuries or, or um, detail injury reports if somebody twisted an ankle. Sure. So yeah, everything is recorded and sent off to our producers and general managers and designers and choreographers and directors, um, just so that they all know exactly what happened at the show that night, the exact runtime, um, sometimes even what the temperature was, you know, in the house. I feel like you guys are like the psychics or the stage manager, like the psychic equivalent of, you know, with, with your job. I feel like you have to be able to foresee, you know, and know. Yeah, that's interesting. I do see that parallel. You know, in rehearsal, we're usually the first person or, or team in the room at the beginning of the day. And, you know, we bring our own energies into the room. But I think it's really best when we can be this neutral you know, being that then receives the energy and reads the energy of all of the people who are coming to rehearse that day, whether it be the directorial team or the choreographers, um, the actors, the star of the show. We're, we're, we're seeing all these people, we're saying hello, you know, we're seeing them take off their, their jackets and, and any other, you know, um, mental barriers they may have come in with. Um, and we're really having to be flexible in a way to adjust and, and make that person or, or people as comfortable as they can be, because the goal is for them to be able to do their best work. Yeah. So we're, I see, I see a stage manager as, as helping to facilitate the creative process in a way that allows people to be as comfortable as they can be um, in this, this rehearsal room or this environment or this stage or whatever you want to call it. Um, but you know, it is, it can be tricky at times, depending on what energy people are bringing into work with them. You bring up, I think you bring up the, such a great point because it's the same. I always ask that the client get there to a reading about five to six minutes early, because you said it best, the energy, it's, it's not a static process. I mean, it is not a passive where they can come in in whatever mood, because I have to then work with that. So if, if they've got this like yucky gook on them because they got into an argument with their spouse, I have to take that off of them before I can even start the reading. So there are moments mm -hmm. where somebody will come in and I can tell they might have, you know, they're in a pissy mood or something is bothering them. Or it could just be, hey, I have some apprehension about the reading because I've never been read before. Like that's in addition to the energy of spirit because I have to make sure that I'm not translating the client's own energy and thinking that's spiritual energy coming at me from their loved ones. I've got to go, 
okay, it's like a coat rack, so to speak. And I'm like, okay, I need you to calm down. So can I get you a water? Can I get you a coffee? Um, I typically, you know, lighthearted conversation, anything that just puts them at ease because I feel like otherwise, and you can't ignore that energy either. I, I can't be like, okay, they seem really upset right now and nervous. I'm just going to ignore this and blow through it and go right into the reading. That would be a big error. You know, I always say we have to kind of get them to a neutral place too before the reading mm-hmm. can start. This, this place of, okay, we're here right now. Can you, I guess, talk more about, because the idea of sensitivities within the community and how you effectively deal with the various energies and how you deal with it at the end of the night. If you're like, God, today was tough. People were really needy or people were like, how do you, I guess after the second part would be, how do you compartmentalize it and decompress? Mm -hmm. Well, what I was hearing that you were saying before is, you know, we're both, you and I are both doing a form of problem solving. We're both redirecting energy in a way, um, whether it be, me going to grab someone lunch or having someone get lunch for this person because they were rushing and running in late, you know, sort of taking a breath in the room and like, like you said, calming things down, um, eliminating whatever is bothering that person, because that's not going to help our day and what, and the work that we are there to do. Um, but, but also people are adults and sometimes you just have to let them that's, that's just, they have to own their energy in a way. Um, And, you know, stage managers aren't babysitters. We aren't um, assistants. We aren't, we we don't serve that function for the talent that we work with. So, you know, everybody is professional and everybody does have to sort of police their own emotions in a way. Um, But we're certainly there to help buffer and, and help that. As far as like at the end of a day going home, my partner Shane would tell you, I just don't feel like talking sometimes because I've had to put so much energy into like talking to people and talking through issues and communicating. Stage managers are the communicators between all the departments, whether it be wardrobe, props, lighting, sound, the directors, the actors, We're we're the ones making sure everybody is speaking the same language. And sometimes I'm just tired of speaking. So he's, he, he gets me and he knows that like, when I come home, I just want to relax sometimes. And I think as an introvert, which I consider myself in a world of extroverts in theater, you know, I recharge at home alone or with my partner or with our, our cats or whoever, um, our dog, you know, I do my recharging, you know, not at work. Yeah, But I will say going back to work for the first time, um, this time at Radio City, I just felt this like surge of energy, you know, being with the Rockettes the first time they were in the room, that was, so I, I do, I do get filled up that way as well. And that is energizing, but typically I go home and just like, probably like you do turn off a little bit. There are days where you just want to have the, the back-to-back readings of just like a loving grandma coming through or a grandpa. And then there's days where you don't have those and you have days that are like back to back. Really sad ones. Like recently there was one that, you know, it was a, I didn't realize it was a, 
at the end, I was like, this is a case that I followed. Like I had been rooting for this person. I was like, come on, like I know you. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I just channeled this person. And then my husband is equal. Like, you know, just like, like, like Shane, it's this idea of like, I'll look at him and I go, I can't talk tonight. Like I just, can we put on the Golden Girls? Can we put on predictable television where I don't have to pay attention? Like where I can just eat some ice cream or animals, our pets, they ground me in, I think the most beautiful way of like, and they know, they know if we've had a hard day, I feel like I'll come home and my puggle who never, ever wants to show affection will hop in my lap. And I'm like, you do know, you do love me. So it's hard. Yeah, I want to respond to a couple things you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wh what I heard the first time was, you know, talking about having the, the heavier, darker days versus the lighter days. That to me is working on a drama versus a, a musical comedy, you know, yeah. getting to do Hello Dolly and leaving with all of that joy that was just like, spewed at us from the audience you know and just being backstage with all of those fun shenanigans and that I still carry with me and and that joy is is a pleasure to be around but then you know I also have worked on To Kill a Mockingbird which is a different kind of joy you know they they say joy cometh in the morning in the show but that is equally important to our souls to to see that um darkness on stage but and find the light in that um and then to go to radio city where that's a whole different kind of joy coming from a lot of young people in the audience and celebrating christmas and just holidays and yeah. you know it's it it is a balance and on the on a in the bigger picture it's whether you're working on a drama sometimes versus a comedy so i like to have an even balance of of working on the two you know, I think you might go a little crazy if you were only ever working on like the most crazy fun musicals, you sort of need the, the light and the dark. Yeah. And then as far as animals grounding you, uh, Marilyn, who you've seen a lot of, she really, uh, you know, has been with me through a lot of grief that I've experienced in the last couple of years. And just her laying on my lap at the end of a day is like everything, you know, um, we recently got a puppy which sent our cats into like a crazy, you know, world because it's like, Hey, what about us? We live here. And Marilyn went from laying on my lap every night to not at all because this new puppy was around. Sure. And for the first time the other night, Marilyn found my lap again. And just, there was like a chemical response in my body. And I just started sobbing because it was this, it was this healing that I, I hadn't had for five months. Yes. that suddenly returned and it was just the weight of her on my legs. So I, I'm right with there with you and, and how important, you know, they healing know. is by your animals. Yeah. And, you know, to piggyback that first question that I answered, um, animals have their own guides too. And mm -hmm. I always say when we're encountering difficulty with our animals, we can actually talk to their guides, even if we don't know their names, you know, I, one, we do know our, our, our Dalmatian has, um, a guide named Daffy or Daff, and she like hates it when I, and, and they're like, please don't call me that. Just call me D. And I'm like, okay. But I mean, yeah, animals, they, oh gosh, oh, there's, there's so much. I, um, oh God, you brought up another really great point too, about when I saw, I was fortunate enough to see both Mockingbird and Hello Dolly. And 
I remember I went to the stage door after and not to get anything signed. It was literally just, I felt so profoundly moved by that experience that I wanted to thank them for what I was given. And it was this interesting experience where you saw people throwing like window cards at Jeff Daniels and throwing things like to have signed. And, you know, they kind of had these rightly so not, they were very polite and very kind to the people, but these looks on their faces of like, we just got through two and a half hours of really tough storytelling in a world right now where it feels sadly, deeply poignant and relevant right now. And, you know, you have people, and, and I, I get it. It just felt like a strange dynamic to be asking for like a sign these four window cards that I have when, you know, it was like versus like a hello Dolly where it was, you know, you leave there. I left inspired in, in so many different ways between Dolly and Mockingbird, yeah. but Mockingbird felt to me more like a, like a call, like a call for advocacy where obviously I just got goosebumps when you said that, you know, it, it really felt like a call and response where Dolly, I left there just feeling, I remember going to the door for that too. And, and feeling again, it was like, I want to thank them. Like I left hello Dolly feeling so alive. Like I was very fortunate where I, um, it was when bet came back to close the show and I had scored a front row ticket that hadn't sold oh, wow. for some reason. It was, trust me, um, front row ticket that had not sold. And it was, for some reason, it was like, you know, instead of like the, what they were, you know, what, what, what it was going for, I think it was like 800. I got it for 250. And to witness that production and, and to be, I remember I almost felt like a little invasive, like Bet's doing that gorgeous speech about wanting to rejoin the human race. And like, she's like right above me. And I'm like, I remember just weeping in the audience at, if that, oh goodness. And I guess we can go there, but if that's not a show of like about finding joy after losing someone and, and rejoining, like I, as a medium, I get emotional thinking about it because like you see the people, you read the dollies, you read the people that have forgotten what it's like to feel and take joy in just being alive. You know, something interesting about what you're saying and, and feeling that energy, you know, in the audience, I can attest that that was, that was exactly what we were experiencing backstage. Um, for me personally, uh, during previews of Dolly, my dad actually passed away suddenly. So I was brought out of that process back to Illinois to, you know, start my own grieving process. Um, and then getting to go back to New York after a week or so, and to, to go back to that company of, of those joy givers, those, those beautiful people who were, you know, spreading this joy to the audience every day. It was just like the best safety net in a way that I could ask for. I just went back into this, this beautiful building full of love and support and, you know, uh, to just heal there, um, was, was so special. And then actually, um, several months after that, my mom was, was sick with, uh, cancer and I made the decision um, with some help from friends that I was going to, 
you know, temporarily leave the production and go back to Illinois to be with my mom in the last several days of her life. We, we didn't know how long it would be. Um, but I remember putting my life on hold at Dolly and uh, the cast and crew did the most beautiful thing actually led by Haley Pachoon. Um, they sent my mom this, this collection of videos that they all took. They all dressed up like Danny Malley and they had funky, crazy glasses on, probably a flannel shirt. And they all, it was a, it was sort of a love letter to my mom telling her what uh, they loved about me and thanking her for giving this gift to them. And I'll just never forget getting to watch that with my mom in the last, you know, several days of, of her life as we knew it. Um, that was the greatest gift. And, uh, you know, I guess this, all of this is to say what you received from the audience is what we were all giving and receiving to each other backstage. It just uh, was so supportive and, you know, nobody can ask for that type of loss to happen in their life, but those, that's the best group of people I could have been with, you know, to help me through that. You said something really interesting before we started rolling, but you said this idea of like, I feel like until you, and when you encounter a particular type of loss, you can see it in others. And I remember, it's interesting, I, your email went to spam um, and you had checked in the night before and you're like, hi, I'm just looking for a Zoom link. I thought you weren't interested in that anymore. And luckily, I, it was still slated on the calendar, so I didn't touch it. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like, I kept hearing like, don't goof this one up. Like, this one's really, like, not that other people's readings are less important, but I just, there is sometimes like this sense of like a, a gravity of the situation. And I remember I was about to mention your dad just to be safe. And, and I heard like, I'm here too. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And um, I don't know, I'm a firm believer that like, there's, there are times, like like you said, we can just see it on other people. You know, things that I've experienced personally as a human, I can look at somebody in a reading and just in my gut, it's like a filter, I describe it. like, And I go, oh, you have the same filter. You're wearing the same badge that I have. I know mm -hmm. what this means. And um, I guess, is there anything that you feel comfortable sharing from our time together? Right off the bat from the start, my favorite thing was you told me my mom had had you up since like 6 a.m and that if even if that's the only thing that came through in the reading just like knowing that and and knowing that like me she wanted to to communicate you know with me so vehemently um that just brought me all of the comfort that i needed but then there were so many other messages that kept coming through that we're like bullseyes, but you know, as a, as a, as a sitter or whatever I'm called in your reading, um, you don't want to give away too much information. So I was giving you like, yes or no's. Meanwhile, like I'm holding back tears and, you know, it just, it was so special to know that they were both with me. You said that they were both standing behind me, that they talked about my loneliness and, that was actually something that quarantine allowed me to explore. Being alone or, you know, in my household with my partner who is very supportive, but still being removed from all that energy that I used to get at work and not having that come in and just to sit in my own 
soul for 18 months, um, you recognize, you realize you're very lonely. And I think the fact that that message that they would, they acknowledged my loneliness spoke volumes to me because all I wanted was my loneliness recognized, you know? It's so interesting you say that because like, I always say as a medium, we never know what the client's greatest takeaway will be. We never, and there's these moments where like, I don't even know how to describe it, but there's moments where like, you'll leave there every so we're human, you know, it's, it's, we can't quantify our job, but God knows I try. And there's moments where I'll leave there going, like you said, if I hadn't, like, I, I, I knew how special your reading was there. are Like, I was like, they have a lot to say. I really need to take my time and make sure that I'm wording them correctly and unpacking these symbols. But there's moments where, yeah, I will sit in the presence of somebody that is quiet that might say just more yes, no. And if I don't, like, I have to remember, it doesn't mean that they're not, there's just a lot of information that's being thrown to the client quickly. And because I also want to make the most of the energy of your loved ones that are coming through. So there's times where I have to go, not everyone is going to have a visceral or elicit a, you know, a visible response. And mm -hmm. you have to understand that and respect that and know that it doesn't mean that, you know, when they, like, I always say, and then, then the reading ends and we hang up and even sometimes me as the medium, I'm like, what just happened? You know, like, I, I think sometimes the misconception is as a, as a medium, there's just like fairies around us and we see this magic all the time. And mediumship is all about stillness. And I remember leaving your reading going like, oof, like in the most beautiful way. I was like, that was, it was like the equivalent of like when Simba encounters Mufasa, remember in, you know, in the water and, and they're like, what was that? I remember going like, I feel so lucky and fortunate that I got to meet his parents today and, and bring them through and just, you know, and yeah, sometimes they will. And I always tell people too, if they, if they don't, like, for example, if I don't have a soul that was lining up for somebody at 6am, it doesn't mean that they don't love you or aren't as mm -hmm. excited to come through. But I mean, she was, to me, it's really important. And it signifies a couple things. A, the love that they have for the client or for, you know, whoever this would be to them. Sometimes too, if they are newly deceased, it's harder for them to get in touch. So also what I think she was doing in the most genius of ways was because it, 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 it takes a lot of energy for them to, when they're newly deceased, to let us know that they're there. And so I think she was going like, Hey, I'm checking in. It, it, it's like a check-in process, so to speak. She's like, I'm here. I'm reporting for duty, you know? And, um, your dad came through. I remember your dad came through second, but I mean, I remember I looked and there was moments where we're flooded with things, but we're like, okay, don't say all of this yet. Just work on mom. But I was like, I know dad is here. And then, you know, um, I don't know. It's just, I loved getting to meet them. Thank you so much for that because it was, I I'm still, you know, riding that beautiful wave. Um, I still think about it all the time. Uh, when you said the Simba and Mufasa thing, I remembered when uh, you said my mom was holding up a mirror, which symbolized that we looked alike. Yes. And 
everybody who knew my mom said I looked just like my mom. Everybody who knew my dad said I looked just like my dad. And then everybody who knew both of them said I looked like both of them and that they looked alike in a not creepy way. Sure. <laughs> but um, no, I just, I just love even just instances of that because that just reminded me that, you know, we do look alike. And not only do I carry her with me as a legacy, but like, I also, you know, like this shirt is her color. Like all of those things, you know, are still with me, you know? Recently, I was looking at a photo of my niece. My niece is three and there's this really neat thing that's starting to happen now is when I look at her pictures, she did, however, she was smiling. Her, I looked at her cheeks and I'm like, before I was only seeing my brother-in-law side of the family and with my mom, I know still in her own way, grieving the loss of her parents. I looked at the photo and I'm like, oh, I'm seeing our side of the family now. And I know it's, hmm. you know, I'm seeing Nani and Pop in, in, in these little chubby cheeks. And I know for my mom, it's got to be a real special thing to be able to look now, at, you know, at her grandchild and see a little flex of, you know, her mom. And yeah. And, mom. and the other day it was my aunt's my mom's older sister it was her birthday so I facetimed her and hadn't seen her for several months sure. and my mom's face like flashed in her face and yeah. I could swear for like a millisecond that it was my mom I was talking to and they do look very similar sure. but I saw my mom's face in her face and and she says that she does get that a lot as well but yeah. um you know any sort of uh, visitation or, or any message from my parents. I'm always very open. Yeah. Um, I, I do feel like I receive a lot of messages from them in like numeric form. Yeah. I see certain numbers, you know, depending on where I am or what I'm doing, I find them in those numbers, yeah. even symbolically, like my dad passed away on my birthday. So, so April 3rd, my birthday, 4-3. That number is everywhere. If I, you know, have a receipt from the grocery store or whatever, the cents are dot four three. Like I just that number is so spiritual for me. Um, and I and I think that that is my dad coming through. I always say the more open and the, when we resign ourselves to just going, hey, whatever signs you want to give me. I'm open to them. Then the magic starts. Numbers is such a beautiful way. Um, uh, you know, mine is 1010 and I didn't know what it meant. And there's days where I think as a medium remaining authentic, and I don't mean like remaining, like, I think what I mean is like, yeah, there's been some really incredible opportunities and for me. And I think, you know, for some, there's the temptation to let their head get a and there's, you know, moments where I've also had to turn things down because it didn't feel honest. It didn't feel organic and authentic. And so you turn them down and then I see the number 1010. And I'm like, what does this mean? I'm like, what the hell is 1010? So I looked it up and, and when my site, I will send it to you. I use this one all the time for numbers. And it basically was like 1010 as a reminder that you are staying like spiritually pure and truthful to what you're supposed to be doing. And I'm like, you know, say no more. So, um, so that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Another one is, um, SOAR, S-O-A-R. 
And my mom used to write little notes in my lunch bag and it would just say sore today or, you know, sore like an eagle. And that was her, her saying, which was the idea that eagles avoid the storm and they fly above it, you know, sort of like a Michelle Obama go high, you know, that's, and so I, I do look for my mom in birds of a sort or eagles and that imagery. Um, I see a lot of hawks. Maybe it's because I live in New Jersey, but I see my mom's energy in a swooping hawk that may like fly right in front of our car, which happens to be her car. Um, And so soar would be a, a great thing that I still keep keep with me that I remind myself it's hard though it's hard sometimes to soar above the storms because sometimes we just get so bogged down in the moment um but I think that 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 idea allows you to step back and breathe and think and decide how you're going to react to something which I use as a stage manager every day I think so I have to remind myself that like we can want the best for ourselves and still be able to cheer on the other people that are hmm. currently where you're hoping to be one day. You know, I, I, I have to remind myself in so many things that, you know, it's not a race. And I think you like, you know, the minute we acknowledge that it's not a race, that it's not a competition and, you know, there, but there are moments sure where, you know, I, I see people that, I am not a fan of how they're doing the work on things or I'm like, like you, like you said, I wanted, I didn't want to offer too much. There's times where I'll see mediums that will like the client will offer up everything. And the medium's like, that's what I was. Oh my God. That's what I was just going to say. And you're mm-hmm. looking at this and you're like, that's a crock of shit. And then you're looking at these, but like people are throwing themselves at these mediums and like their followers are sky high and they're booked for like two years. And you're like, and then you have well, to and, and you know, we see that in our career. Any actor or you know, up and coming director, choreographer, um, stage manager, we see all these other people and they're getting the next big Broadway show. They're, you know, they're just getting gig after gig. And it's like, what am I not, what am I not seeing in this person? Or what are other people seeing that I'm not? And it does go back to everybody has their own journey. I've been fortunate enough. There we go. Another one. I don't have a lot of cats, by the way. I just have two. The great gardens. Um, yeah. I, it kind of looks like it. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been privileged to work with some amazing, incredible stage managers who I have learned so much from. But, you know, we've all worked with stage managers who we learned how not to be from yes. you know we've we've witnessed though this is how they chose to do this in this moment when i have to cross that bridge maybe i'll do it differently and that's just part of you know growing picking and choosing what we want to keep in our basket from the fields you and know sometimes that's the lesson where you're like oh yeah okay maybe it's just hey this is it's getting this person ahead but i know in my gut that's not how we're supposed to do it and sure, it's going to be a mirror to me to remind myself of like, don't go down that road, Jimmy. Like you stay. And it's always those moments that I'm like, all right, I'm going to stay my course. Then it's like these beautiful opportunities come about. Like recently, you know, I, I can't go into detail yet. Pub- 
we spoke about the opportunity, but there was one where I was like boohooing myself because of, and I'm like, you know what, just we can cheer people on and still want the best for ourselves. And the minute I said it out loud, I was like, well, I'm going to have, this is going to happen for me. And I said something out loud, like 10 minutes later, the email lit up with this person's name, with the opportunity. And it was like, okay, so, wow. um, oh, I guess. But it's, it doesn't mean it's easy though. No. You know, I mean, no. it's all a work in progress. Could you talk about your other business of, you know, collected and, and, and curated goods? So we've got Homer Derby. If you can tell us yeah. a little bit about it and how it started. Yeah, you know, I've always had a love for vintage things, um, for things of the past. Um, and, you know, I loved thrifting. I loved going to antique stores. And then sitting around for the pandemic, it was like, okay, I've got all these cool objects. And as I collect them, they all just keep piling up and I don't really have a place for them. I found this whole Instagram community of people who were, you know, sourcing these objects and like taking beautiful pictures of them, beautiful descriptions with dimensions. And they were actually like finding new homes for them. They were reselling these objects. And I thought, oh my gosh, it would be so fun to spend my days, you know, either sourcing these things or or setting up little vignettes in my home and photographing them and, and, and finding creativity out of that. But not only did I exercise my creativity by, by making Homeward Derby on Instagram, but I also met these beautiful people around the country, other sellers, other people who shared my interest, um, who I'm, I still talk to daily more than, you know, friends that I have met. Sure. Uh, it's a whole network of, of people um, that I, I still check in with and we share our latest cool find. You know, there, there came a point where my friends started to get tired of seeing my latest cool thrift store find. They're like, oh, that's so great. You know, um, so I, I found this other community that like, like theater, when, when we find the theater community, it feels like home in a way. Um, and not that I want to like start my own antique store, but I certainly enjoy finding cool things um, and, and seeing where they end up. I also like come across things that maybe my mom or dad had or my grandma had. And it's those objects, the, the type of Tupperware measuring cups, for instance, that my mom used to use. And like, I find that like bringing those things back into my life, while they may not be that exact item my mom used, still just like having what you you grew up with just like creates a vibe creates an energy in your home yes. um that i find so cool to have you, oh gosh you hit the nail on that i mean fully agree there were things that of of my nani when she passed that that i that i that i deliberately was like i kept oh, or there's also things that she bought from me from my childhood that it was just, it was her aesthetic. It was her. And, you know, even some of her Christmas ornaments, I was like, can I, can I keep these? You know, the, the way, I don't know. It, it's, it's a, I, there's so much power I think to be had in objects. And do you ever find, I mean, I, cause I know if you're listening at home, you know, my answer, I'm going to be very honest. Antique stores are hard for me to go in because as a, as a medium, one of my abilities is psychometry. So the, the ability to be able to 
touch an object, pick up information on the, the owner, the owners, depending if it was an heirloom. So antique stores can be a bit of, um, if my clairsentience is running high that day, it can be really overwhelming. Do you ever envision like the history of these objects or like, do you ever visualize like, huh, I'm, you know, getting a clear picture in my mind of the person that could have owned this object. I can't necessarily um, peg it onto like one person or, or the previous owner. I think I'm pretty good at knowing when, when an object is important and knowing that it has value beyond monetary. And now it's time for some last minute questions. If you were stuck as a ghost in a theater for all of eternity and could only watch one production, I'm going to say musical for right now to kind of narrow. Uh, no, I'm going to open it because obviously your experience has been both musical and straight theater. What production or what show would you pick? I think Fun Home. I don't know if anybody else has said that or chosen that one, but I saw it at Circle in the Square and I can still bring myself back to that experience. I can still visualize myself sitting in that chair with the tears that, you know, were just brought. I mean, it's such, such a dimensional product. That was a dimensional production as it is, but the music is so beautiful. And I feel like the music almost speaks more than, than some of the lyrics in it. Um, you know, I, I didn't grow up with a family like that or even in a large family, but I recognized people in my life in those certain roles, in those characters. I recognize, you know, moments of my mom's life coming through in the mother of that show. And, yeah. and I think that was what was so beautiful. It's because it's such a specific story, but so much, so many people can relate to it. It's so universal in a way. Character that you've either seen in a production or character from a production that you've stage managed where you're like, oof, this one could benefit from a medium. And my, what comes to mind is Fagin from Oliver. I played Fagin in high school, actually, and I loved that role. I still, you know, sing some of the songs in my head or in the car. Yeah. Um, but I think he he you know, was really misled in his life and got into a lot of trouble. I think it would have been helpful for him to take a step back and receive some messages from elsewhere. These are some good ones you're serving up today. And then final question, hundreds of years from now, when we're no longer here, how would you want folks to remember Danny, Danny Manley? I think, you know, in our post-COVID or almost post-COVID world, you know, maybe I would have answered differently had you asked me that two years ago. But after getting a step, getting a chance to step back and really just like look at my life, look at how my actions affect people. You know, I'm, I'm currently living in a neighborhood. I have, we're the youngest people living in this, this small little beach town. Um, but my neighbors have just become such um, such pillars in my life, you know, my relationships with them, just, just surviving this pandemic together. I really think I want to be remembered as kind. I think kindness is one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody else. Um, you know, just 
just the warmth that comes along with that. Um, some of my greatest accomplishments have just been helping neighbors and being helped by neighbors, you know, and especially living in this small town where it's very apparent we are all in this together. What kind of small town? Are we talking like murder? She wrote town like Cabot Cove. Cause if so, I'm driving there this weekend. <laughs> kind of it's, it's ocean Grove, New Jersey. So it's a very small little, uh, half a square mile town. So it's half a mile by half a mile. So I guess it's technically a square mile, um, but it does have a little bit of a religious overtone. Um, it's, it doesn't mean you have to be religious to live here, but it's, everyone has these cute little Victorian homes. Some of them are like gingerbread homes with the little details over the eaves. Um, but I live on the corner and I've got a beautiful little wraparound porch and it does feel like, like old timey in a way, you know, everybody knows everybody's name. Um, it, I, I found a lot of comfort there, uh, especially because I lived in New York city in a basement apartment where I didn't know my neighbors at all. So it's sort of is like a night and day experience to New York. And luckily you know, it's just a driver, a train commute to get back into the city. So I feel like I've got the best of both worlds there. Ours is super tiny too. I, I live in a, um, a like a village um, called Kenmore. So we've got Buffalo. And then basically there's one road, you, you cross this road, you're, you're in Kenmore and Kenmore is, it's, it's like a mile. It's like a mile by like, it's super like a little box. And, you know, it really is, I mean, I, sometimes we know the dogs the names of dogs that are like at the other end of the, you know, it, it's just, it's very, I love it, but I'm telling you a Cabot Cove, I'm going to come visit there one day. So, and you know, one of the reasons we wanted to live here is the downtown, the main street, I won't say downtown cause it's, it's tiny. It looks like Disney world. It looks like main street USA. It's got even the striped awnings. I have striped awnings. It, it just has like a, it feels like almost a bubble, a protected yeah. little town. I want to thank you so much for, for being my guest today. And folks at home, I will, I will put up the information for Homeward Derby. And um, awesome. thank you. Thank you again. Until next time, everyone at home and Danny, be well. And I will see you soon. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Of course. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>Hi everyone. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to learn more about mediumship, please feel free to check out my website, www.stagestormedium.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter or book a reading for yourself. Feel free to check out my Instagram at stagedoormedium or subscribe to my YouTube channel by the same name, Stagedoormedium. Thanks so much, be well, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.